2: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking
0: requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. This is Metal Mike, and in this episode, I'm joined by my Twitter pal, Tony Rod, and together we discuss our top 10 metal albums from the epic year of 1985. What a year, man. All the heavy hitters like Kiss, Motley, Wasp, Brat, they all had output from this year, and we discuss it all. It's a fun blast from the past,
2: Check it out. Tony, welcome to the 80s Glam Model Cast. How you doing, man? I'm doing all things considered. With all the craziness going on in the world right now, I'm I'm actually doing pretty good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's probably a good segue because, you know, the world is crazy right now. So I think we should just go back to 1985,
2: right? Sounds great to me. Although, to be quite honest, 85 was actually a crazy time for me then, too. So I guess that's just my life, but... I poured myself a cool one here, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna enjoy my drink and let's talk some 1985 metal. Awesome, man. Well,
0: you know, we get to 1985. We're about halfway through the decade, and you know, metal's still growing, especially as like a commercial force. You know what I mean? I feel like you saw a lot of that in uh, '83 uh, with with Metal Health, and then 1984 with Stay Hungry. So, you know, metal's really becoming a force in the commercial side of music. But you notice though. Compared to maybe, at least for me, I noticed, compared to like 1987, 1988, there's not as many metal albums out at this point. Did you kind of notice that when you're putting together a list?
2: Yeah, that's exactly what I noticed. (laughs) (laughs)
1: There
2: there are actually some albums that I had to put on my list. I didn't have to, but I put them on my list, and I'm really thinking, you know, I really didn't want to have this on my top ten, but, you know, there's really, I was surprised that there's actually not a lot, you know, you can get 10 and maybe into 15, but after that, you know, there's actually a lot more that was going on, I think, in 84 and in 86. Yeah, Yep. yeah, I agree and with at, you. And as you go into the 80s, there's even, you know, it just exploded and there's even more stuff to choose from, but yeah, I, I'm right there with you, though.
0: I kind of felt, too, that, like, most of my favorite bands are on the on this list, but it's not my favorite albums by them, you know what I'm saying? Exactly.
2: <laughs> That's a good way to
0: put it. Oh, but you know what, man? I say we jump right in. I'm really curious. Let's hear what your number ten is.
2: All right, number ten, and this is exactly what I was talking about just a second ago. Is a number ten? And really, I, I, I really wanted to punish this band and this album and and not really have it on my list, but it, it, could, it you know, it just kind of snuck its way on there, and I actually like this album as a whole better than say eight and nine on my list but um like i said i felt like they needed to get knocked down a couple of pegs because of some really bad decisions with this album But
0: my number 10 is come out and play by twisted sister nice nice
2: that's a good one yeah you know where I'm going here. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> okay. You, I'm, I'm sure you know the album. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was big into Twisted Sister. I got into them around, around the time, like everyone else, around the time of Stay Hungry. And I went backwards and bought I bought You Can't Stop Rock and Roll. I got Under the Blade. I mean, I was really, really, really into Twisted Sister in around 84, 85. And I'm waiting, and this album comes out. I didn't even know it was coming out. I just was one of those experiences where you walk into the record store and just see, and you go through the Twisted Sister section and just happen to see something new. And it was like, you know, that was the cool thing back then was you can go to record stores and get surprised by something like that. You know, there, there was no internet. So, and a lot of times, you know, you wouldn't even get, have a release date for something. You would just walk in and see it. Exactly. So I, I bought it. I brought it home and the first song's great. Title track. It's heavy. It's a banger. You know, AJ Perry playing at like breakneck speed on this one. So you're thinking, okay, we're off to a good start here. Then it goes into Leader of the Pack.
1: <laughs> yep.
2: And, you know, okay, there are, there are really only two songs on this album that I cannot stand. And sure enough, the two singles and two videos for this album are Leader of the Pack and Be Cruel to Your School. The two songs I can't stand on this album.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, there's some goofiness there for sure.
2: Yeah, and and, it's, and sure enough, it sunk the band. It sunk the album. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many and there's other songs they could have they could have released as as the, the first or second single. And you know, leader of the pack. I guess from what Dee says is it, it, it used to they used to play this back in the club days and it used to go over great and it was a real fan favorite and the you know. New York area, so that was their reasoning for recording it and putting it on this album. Whose brilliant idea it was to put it as the lead single, I have no idea. But <laughs> they they get paid they get paid good money to like be smarter than I am and you know or be be smarter than we are, Mike. And to be honest, they're not right. But anyway, yeah, sunk, it's completely sunk the album. They, they then there was the second single, they come out with Be Cruel to Your School, which, you know, it's got Alice Cooper on it. That's okay. You know, it's not a great song, but it's got Alice Cooper singing, you know, trading off with D. That's okay. But, you know, you've got, you know, maybe it's just me, but uh, Billy Joel, Clarence Clemens, um, even Brian Setzer. Okay, these are all talented musicians, I'm sure. But they have no business on a Twisted Sister album or no. any metal album for that no. matter. No, not at all. I mean, it just doesn't work. Now that I got the negatives out of the way, I'm going to go to the positives. Yeah, there there the are pause. some great tunes, I think, on the South. Yeah, um, I Believe in Rock and Roll is a great tune. Uh, the Fire Still Burns is a great mm-hmm. tune. J.J. French says that should have been the first single. Mm-hmm. And he, to this day, he just, like, he, he's, he, he's like kicking himself while he's being interviewed that they released Leader of the Pack as the first single but now maybe Twisted Sister would have burned out anyway. I don't know, but they certainly like, you know, uh, <laughs> they certainly brought it about a lot quicker by releasing the singles that they did for this album. I like it more than most people do. This is usually the album where, you know, a lot of the Twisted Sister, you know, fans kind of jump ship. Um, but for me, I like the album as a whole. What I did is, cause I used to always buy albums on vinyl and I would, when it, as soon as I brought him home, I would transfer him to cassette. I would record him on the cassette. I just skipped those two songs completely off, <laughs> off my cassette. And so when I listened to it, it would go from come out and play to, to you want what we got, which is, you know, not the best song, but it's certainly better than either of the pack. And then it would just skip, like I said, it would just skip the two songs that I completely hated. And so for me, that those are my, so my, like, thoughts on the album are, are more positive than most people. But... Because Leader of the Pack was so bad, and Be Cruel to Your School was so bad, I felt like I needed to drop them down all the way to number 10. Anyway, I like the album, with all that being said.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't have this one on my list. Um, I love the song Come Out and Play, but that's about where it ends for me. <laughs> like I, I, you know, right. I think there's some okay songs but for the most part yeah you know if you look back at certain bands careers quiet riot is another one that comes to mind you know sometimes bands have that huge album and then they just kind mm-hmm. of tank right and some mm-hmm. bands just keep bi- getting bigger with every album. Motley Crue would be an example. Right. Where I think you know, from from Too Fast for Love to Doctor Feelgood, it's just uh, you know getting bigger and bigger every album. But uh, yeah, Twisted Sister just made some wrong moves. And I remember when I talked to JJ French, he you know he he brought it up that Leader of the Pack was was a bad call. Um, yeah, you know maybe they just got too. Rich and too unfocused, or I don't know what happened, but yeah, they didn't. They weren't in tune with their audience at that point, and uh, it just, you know, it didn't work.
2: Yeah, maybe they were in tune. They were so used to being in tune with their local oh, audience, right. it took them so long to get signed that when they went national and got big, that they just were kind of tone deaf as to what maybe the whole country wanted.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, I, I think you nailed it uh, on that one. But yeah, once again, and. and I have to stress. I really do love this song. Come out and play. I think uh, it's a, a really good example of Dee's uh, awesome melodies. You know, when you think of the vocal melody of the verses, you know, it's so cool. And even mm-hmm. like the pre-chorus is, is cool. And you know, I just that's one of the that's an example of like the songwriting that I love that Dee Snyder does. But then like some of the other songs that are on there, I don't know. They just don't they don't hit me. Um, like maybe to the extent, extent that Stay Hungry does. You know what I mean? I feel like they really were on right. target there. Uh, I really like um, Love is for Suckers, or I think there's some cool stuff on that one. So, you know, it's, I just, too. it's unfortunate. I uh, do um, we're,
2: we're like, I think we were the only two people in the country that liked that album. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it's Yeah, it's it's just the way that it is. But for number 10, uh, it, and I feel like all my guys on this list, they're all heavy hitters. And my number 10 is uh, Bon Jovi, 7,800 Fahrenheit. And, you know, it, it's one of those ones where I feel like it's sandwiched in between two stronger albums. I, I like the debut better than this one, and I like um, Slippery When Wet better than this one as well. But I still think it's great. I You know, In and Out of Love, The Price of Love, Only Lonely. You know, there, there's, the whole album has great stuff on it. And I love this 80s Jovi sound, and I kind of feel like once you get to Slippery When Wet maybe uh new jersey has a little bit of that but i just feel like this is these three albums are kind of like a bookend to like the 80s hair metal bon jovi and then we start to kind of go more you know in a pop direction and uh and don't get me wrong they they make you know Bon Jovi can still pack a stadium, and there's a reason why they do that. They can do that it's because they've evolved. But I think the sad point that I just want to go to is that you know if you look at Kiss, you look at Motley Crue, they've always tried to do at least one album that recaptured the old sound. You know what I mean? And Bon Jovi just mm-hmm. never has really done that. And and now I, I think they're a point at a point, especially with the maybe the range of his uh, voice currently, that they never really could do something like that now so it's unfortunate you know that this band kind of this 80s hair bon jovi kind of went away and, and never returned but when you go back and you listen to those first three i, I think you, you know you get a really cool vibe and it's it's great stuff
2: well it's definitely an album of you know those albums are definitely from that time you know and they you know, they they really don't at least from from the quotes that i've seen and, and the interviews that i've seen it's like John and, and Richie both kind of, they really like, don't like being associated with that scene or that style of music anymore. Yep. They, they really see themselves as being more of like a blues-based band, and they're really not. No. <laughs> That's really not what they're good at. No, I agree 100%. You know, and so they, they just, you know, they, they're almost offended, like when they get like asked about like, you know, or get like associated with that, kind of glam metal scene because they just don't see themselves that way.
0: Yeah, but they were so good at it. They really, they were the blueprint for it. You know what I mean? When you look at Slippery One, wow. Oh, yeah. Pretty yeah. much everything that followed, you know, used that as a blueprint. So, you know, they're, they're good yeah. at it. They defined the 80s and it's it's just like I said, That's, I guess when I went back and I made my list, I just kind of felt sad. I was like, geez, it's too bad they never really could recapture this kind of vibe ever again. So, yeah, it is what it is.
2: Yeah, that album, um, we had that album in my house. My, my oldest brother had it, and, you know, it was, he was kind of like, hey, check out this new band kind of thing, and uh, and I was to it. It, it. Bon Jovi was never my thing, and I think a lot of it has to do with just, you know, I'm big into voices. If mm-hmm. if I like the singer's voice, then I'll pretty much listen to, you know, I, I can listen to a band and listen, and, the uh, you know, if, it, if I really like the singer, even if the song's not that great, it's kind of like, I, you know, I can dig it, you know, I can get into it. And just John's voice never did anything for me. Yeah,
0: no, I can understand. <laughs> you know,
2: I, yeah, it's and it's not to put down their, you know, uh, his, you know, his talent or anything like that. It's just it's one of those things where it's just not for me.
0: Totally understand, man.
2: But but I, you know, I've got some. Um, I'm, I'm guessing we probably have a number of the same heavy hitters on on our list here. But oh, sure. I'm guessing that some of ours are going to be in different parts of our list.
0: <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure of it. What, what do you got for nine?
2: For so number nine, and this is a prime example of what I'm talking about. At number nine, I've got Theater of Pain by Motley Crue. Yeah. All right. Which I'm guessing you have that higher. I got it. I, I, I don't have to give spo- a spoiler, but... <laughs> I might. It might be higher, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you might have it up there a little higher than that. I do. But, you know, my thinking with this album, and, and I guess it, you know, you know, just to, to give you you know, some perspective of where I'm coming from on this. I was 12 in 1980. For most of 1985, I was 12 years old. I turned 13 in October of that year. So... And it was summer. I guess it came out in the summer, around June. Uh-huh. And it man, it was a mirror. It, it seemed like we were waiting for like ever for this album to come out.
0: Right, right.
2: You know, because Vince had his had his uh, his legal issues, and you know, back then, you know, and it was really only two years. But you know, back then, bands were putting out an album a year.
1: Uh-huh.
2: You know, it's not like now where they it's you know, five ten years between the album. Back then. Bands put out new albums every year, so you're kind of, you know, you got to kind of spoiled with that. So, figure, Shout came out in 83, and then it's not until 85 that we get Fear of Pain. So, it's like, and I, man, I love, I, and I still love those first two Motley True albums.
1: Yeah.
2: And I mean, they're so good. To this day, I still, it's like, I can't really, like, you know, put on those albums and not, not you, you have to start kind of rocking out a little bit, you know?
0: Oh, yeah.
2: And it, they're that good and there's a certain fire to those first two albums. And from, from day one, when I, I came up I so excited, home Theater, put it on the record player, turn it on, and it was just like, even from the first song, it just seemed like, like that, that fire that was on their first two albums was just gone. Uh-huh. And it's not, it's, and I'm listening to it, okay, it's not bad. You know, it's not like you put it on and, what the hell is this? It's put on some. Yeah, it sounds like Motley Crue. I hear Vince, I hear everybody, but it's just like I, you know. And some. I mean, my take on this album is there are two songs that I love on this album, louder than hell, which I'm glad they changed the title from Potter than hell because that would have been really lame. <laughs>
1: Too
2: um, <laughs> kissish. Yeah, you know. It's like, yeah, but you weren't influenced by Kiss, right, Nikki? Anyway, <laughs> no. Yeah, he, he can't make up his mind. It's like one day he, he gives credit to Kiss for stuff and the next day he's mad at him and then tries to say <laughs> No, we weren't influenced by that. But anyway. Bad in Hell's Great. Tonight We Need a Lover is great on start off side two. Yeah. There are two songs I love. There are about I guess two songs that I absolutely can't stand. And the rest of us just kind of there. Mm-hmm. You know, the rest of us just kind of okay. You know. So really I don't think it's a bad album. But coming, it, it was such a come down from the first two albums that I thought were just a plus, you know. And so that was how I felt about it. "Home Sweet Home." I don't think it's a bad song. I think it might be a little overrated, mm-hmm. you know, and their catalog. I, I think the verses are really cool. The chorus always left me a little flat. Yeah,
1: but, yeah. Yeah,
2: you know, and you've and you've talked about it before. Is just like it definitely. Set a template, though, from what other bands were going to do going forward, because sure. everyone tried to put their home sweet home on their album after. Right.
0: Yeah. Very influential. That's. There's no doubt about it.
2: Yeah, and 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 you like, and I've uh, you know I've heard you talk about it before, to where everyone kind of softened their look after that too. Yes.
0: Yes. Yep.
2: Everybody. Yep. You know, that was playing this type of music kind of softened their look from a harder edge look to. Yeah, let's see, maybe put a few colors in there, you know, if you're if you're kids you go overboard with the rainbow colors but
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> some pearls. <laughs> you, you know, it, yeah, you know but anyway, I've got Motley Crue, the European nine. Um I, you know, like I said, I don't hate it, but just I guess because the the bad feelings I have towards this album because is because it was such a come down from the previous two. And I don't know that Motley Crue ever quite got back to those first two albums. Right. You know, I, you know they, they had some decent albums after that, but I don't know that they ever quite came back after this album.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I totally know what you're saying. I will keep my thoughts of this album. Uh, I will hold on my thoughts until, until it hits my list. Um, so I will jump to my number nine. Which is Rat. Uh, Invasion of Your Privacy And I think That this album Has some of Rant's best songs I I think You're in Love And Lay It Down Are are, are some of their best And Give It All Is great Even Closer to Your Heart I think is a cool Like a slower moodier track But um, I think When you get to the middle Of this thing At least for me uh, It starts to fizzle out And they're just They feel like Kind of like throwaways I'm just gonna be honest Like I don't think The album The later part Is as strong As the beginning but, uh, in their defense, this is pretty common with a lot of these eighties albums. I think I think we've got it jam packed with all our singles and real big you know numbers toward the beginning, and then it we tend to have mm-hmm. some you know not so stellar stuff toward the end and once again, you know these bands are pumping out uh material p- pretty fast, you know, especially when you try to, you know, every year, yeah intermixed touring <laughs> as well. I don't think there's too many people well you, you you can correct me if i'm wrong but i i think most people think out of the cellar you know is their masterpiece and then this it's kind of hard to follow yeah. up something like that and, and once again they had, a lot, they had a lot of time to put together those songs and then and this happens to mm-hmm. every band once the machine gets rolling you don't have as much time to do the follow-up and then the one after that and, and so on and so forth so uh, i like it. it i think it's got some of their coolest tunes and coolest Catchy songs, but I just think it's it's not as good as Out of the Cellar, and I think we get about midway, and then it kind of it kind of loses me. But still, a lot of great stuff on there.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a classic, you know, uh, music industry, you know, kind of cliche, is it? You got your whole your whole life up until your first album to write it. Nope. Okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got years to come up with material for your first album, and then you got a couple of months to to come up with material for your second album. You know, unless you're lucky enough to have a, you know, big back catalog of songs already ready to go, which some bands do, um, but a lot of them, and I think, I think that was maybe the case with with you know a number of bands where that second album just you know yeah they just yeah I mean they they get that sophomore jinx kind of thing, but really it's about that they get rushed back into the studio and have and they're on a deadline and have to push stuff out whether they feel they have the right you know enough good material or not it doesn't matter you gotta go you know
0: (laughs) yeah exactly
2: but and yeah I I think that might that might be the case with that album but you know I may or may not talk about you know have more to say about that (laughs) later on
0: okay I kind of figured maybe (laughs) so what about your number eight
2: my number eight and see we're going to run into a similar situation here I think but my number eight is Under Lock and Key by Dokken yeah Great album. And something tells me you, you might have it up a little higher. Uh
0: yeah, maybe. I, maybe. I enjoy I enjoy that album quite a
2: bit, yeah. You know, you, you enjoy some docking, you know, now and again. Oh, but
0: who doesn't? <laughs> Rocking with docking, yeah. baby. Let's
1: go.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, we I grew up you know, I grew up in a house with, with two older brothers and an older sister and they were all into this you know, into the, like pretty similar type of music. They're all, all into eighties metal, eighties rock. And so I heard everything <laughs> everything that came it seemed like everything that came through was just like somebody in the house was playing it mm-hmm. and so we you know we had Do in our house going all the way back to the first album you know we heard we had we had breaking the chains on vinyl so from breaking the chains to tooth and nail and I thought tooth and nail was a big jump from the first album oh yeah, for sure and, and Truth be told, I, I'm not the biggest Dawkins fan in the world, um, but it's kind of one of those things where I listen. I don't hate it. Like, if somebody has it on, I wouldn't be like, heck, can you turn that off?" It's like, no, it's it's not bad. It's good. Um, th- there weren't like I had like a like a you know two hands full of like the bands and acts that were like my guys. You know, they're like these are the bands that I go and you know, and kind of all of us in the house had our own little you know you know collection of groups that we followed. So, but I remember hearing under lock and key and I actually went back and listened to it, um, again, a few days ago, just so I could, you know, kind of know a little more of what I was talking about. Uh Um, but you know, I really like the singles on this album. Um, I think that I think I really like the Hunter, the Hunter is kind of this really cool, like moody, kind of dark almost, you know, kind of mid tempo, you know, uh, rocker, but and but it is a kind of an interesting choice for the first single and first video. Mm-hmm. Um, I, personally, I think they should have went straight with "In My Dreams" the, as the first single and, yeah. and really kind of announced the album that way. Yeah,
0: I agree.
2: And and that's the other thing. I think this this album is heavily weighted towards the singles in my mind. Anyway, mm-hmm. when I listened to it, the songs that stuck out with the singles. Um, it's not love in my dreams, and The Hunter's a great tune, I just don't think it should have been the first single. You know, I think it's good, I I don't think it's as good as Tooth and Nail, and I don't think it's as good as Back for the Attack. Uh Uh-huh,
1: uh-huh.
2: But, but it's still, I still think it's pretty good. Yeah, so, and being, being that I'm not the biggest Dawkins fan, you know, so I'm really listening to it objectively when I, when I listen to it. Um, but I felt like it really needed to be in my top ten just because it's 1985, and you can't have a top ten from <laughs> 1985 metal and not have Dockin on it, right?
0: It, it would be a sin, I think. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> well, I've got a few other ones on here that people might take issue with, but this one. And if I put some of those ones on there and not put Dockin on there, people this guy has no idea what he's fucking talking about. But anyway. They yeah, might say that anyway,
0: yeah, but you know what? I've always been proud of my decisions, and some of them have been unpopular, but you gotta you gotta stick to your guns and and the, the words of motley Crue. you know what I mean I feel like you just have to go with right. your gut and what you like, so no, I'm with you, and yeah. you just it, well, that
2: that was always me, you know it's like i took I took so much heat going to school, and see people don't know people think that you know that you're okay, you're a kiss fan right because kiss is my favorite band. My and two. people think you're a kiss fan man you think everyone likes kiss right no
1: No, not that
2: was not the case in the early eighties especially I mean you you got made fun of when you were wearing a kiss shirt uh-huh, uh-huh. you yeah, know and this is and so I grew up in Southern California it's like it, it was not kiss country you know when I, when when I was going to school and you know, only someone like me would be brave enough to to wear um, a Paul Stanley. I had a one night stand with Paul Stanley shirt to school. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I remember that shirt. It was a Crazy Nights nice tour, wasn't it? Is that was that was it?
2: No, no, that was his solo tour.
0: Oh, a solo tour. Oh, I remember. They. It, it seems like I though I remember Crazy Nights. Nice, there were some cheesy shirts that. They only had one tall. I had call that, I one, had that one, too. Yeah, yeah, I,
2: mean,
0: <laughs> I knew I wasn't crazy.
2: That or one was, like that. I had, yeah, that one was... I had a crazy night with kids. Oh,
0: that's right. Okay.
2: <laughs> I wore that one, too. And, yeah, yeah. I got, you know... I got the Snickers behind my back and everything, too. But I didn't care. I was I was going to listen to what I was going to listen to and whether it was popular or not. And that was me. I wasn't a popular guy anyway, so to hell with it.
0: <laughs> well, I think... Uh, Speaking of Kiss, um, my number eight is Kiel, uh, Right to Rock. And, uh, I, I, I
2: thought you, you threw me a curveball there. I was, I was about to let you have it. There's
0: <laughs> <laughs> no way I'm putting an asylum that low. Come on now. Um, That's what
2: I'm talking about. I'm like no way.
0: No, no way. No way. So um, Keel and anybody who follows me on Twitter, I post a lot about Keel. I love Keel. Um, and I think this album is really good. I, I definitely prefer When Keel's more commercial, like the 1987 uh, self-titled album. That's my favorite by that mm-hmm. but, but this one's really good. But I think, you know, as a kid, you know, really cool. I like it, all that good stuff. But I think over the years, you know, I've read more about it, and I've, I've kind of listened to it more and more. And this album it was really a rush job. When we talk about those rush jobs, um, if, you, right. if you really dissect this one, um, a lot of this stuff is rehashed songs from the Lay Down the Law album. A lot of these are Kiss reject songs that Gene couldn't get on some of the 80s <laughs> Kiss albums. So this is a, a hodgepodge potpourri of a lot of weird shit. You know what I mean? And I mean, the Right to Rock, it, it, the song itself is amazing. It can carry the whole album. Um, you know, I think Speed Demon is great. Uh, the, 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 the song that I find the most comical, though... Even though I love it, it's super catchy. It's easier said than done. Now, this is a a Gene Simmons uh, original. And if you ever read the lyrics to this song, this is like all the the Gene isms, like all these goofy sayings that you could all throw in. Like, the song actually makes no sense. And I think the only point of the song is to throw in every weird, like, saying that's ever been made. Like, you know, it's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. And he's talking about Russian <laughs> Russian roulette. And if, the, you know, if you can't stand he, he the can't heat. He's not talking about
2: putting a, putting a log
0: in a fireplace. No, thing. but he, he should have because it it's, it's all pretty much, you know, <laughs> I, I actually copied and pasted these into notes so I could reference some of this because I just thought it was, there's no life after death. Uh, read them and weep, um, you made your bed, now you got to go to sleep. I mean, it's the cheesiest. It should be called cheesier said than done. You know what I mean? It's just like the right. most goofy <laughs> sayings, and, it, and and it's like everything bad about some of the Gene Simmons 80s songs all in one song.
2: Right. But for some reason. wrapped up in one. <laughs> I
0: do like the song. <laughs> so, that, so go figure. I'm a cheese ball, too. I think it's a cool, catchy song. But, yeah, I mean, like I said, a lot of Gene Simmons leftovers. Well, I do love, there's something about Keel that I love. I like Ron Keel's voice. I like the dual leads. I like the giant choruses. But uh, I feel like, you know, pretty strong effort for like your first, your major label debut. But I think they got better as they went along. I think by the time they got to that 87 album, they were really spot on and in the zone. And I don't know what your thoughts are, but I don't know if Gene... Has ever added anything to any band he's produced? I, if he has, I, I don't know, because it seems like any band—and this isn't a knock—it's just that like any band that he's produced never really made it big. So I almost wonder if right. he really is the guy that needs to be produced and not be the producer. You know what I'm trying to say? Like I feel like I feel mm-hmm. like people like Bob Ezrin and Eddie Kramer maybe got the best out of Gene. And when you just let Gene be Gene this is where you get this easier said than done kind of goofy shit. You know what I mean? Right. So I feel like he's somebody that needs to be kept in check. So that's why I don't know if mm-hmm. he's the greatest producer. I mean, once again, I'm not trying to, he, he could probably produce something better than I ever could, but I, I, sometimes I
2: question. But you got to think too at that time and Gene was spreading himself so, so thin. Right. He's doing movies. He's, Producing bands. Oh, and every once a you know once a year he's got to go in and crap out like four songs for a Kiss album. You
1: know? <laughs> <Right>.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look at Animalize. I mean, Animalize is the prime example of just prime example. Gene garbage nonsense. I don't like any of those songs really that he's got on Animalize. So it's just no, no. So yeah, that's you're right. That that's kind of what he was doing, and I feel like some of that man that mindset kind of
2: puked out on the Keel album. Yeah, I remember Keel when I think mean, I remember Keel when they were still playing the clubs. Mm-hmm. Um like I said my, my older siblings used to go to the to the clubs all the time and they, they used to go to this place in um in Reseda called the Country Club. And which was it's about maybe a half hour away from where we live. Um and they 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 bring home all these flyers, you know, from all these bands. And you know, a few of you might have even heard of it. there are flyers for you know for Keel. Um let's see, she brought uh, my sister brought home a flyer from the whole band, I don't know that if you ever heard of them called poison. <laughs> oh, um, yes. Yeah, I kinda heard of that. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so she she bring home all these flyers, she'd, Oh yeah, this guy handed probably a guy in a band that handed it to her, you know. Uh
1: huh.
2: Um Crazy. And so it was, it was funny having all these flyers laying around, around our house. And then like, you know, a year or two later, we'd see their video. We'd see, I remember seeing the Right to Rock video on, on one of the, the video shows. And it was just like, I'm going to pick a flyer from crazy. <laughs> I go and pull it out and sure enough, it's like, I don't even know if the band was the same, but it was Ron Keel. Sure enough, wasn't uh-huh. was about, you know, seven feet tall. I mean, he's a very tall guy, but, um, yeah, I remember Keel. Uh, I, I think the thing was is, but I remember Keel from before Keel. Yeah, you know, I remember Steeler. Right. Because my brother was a big Ingvay fan, so he had he went out and got Steeler out. But so, you know, Ron Keel's voice is, you know, it's it's uh, he's got great range. Yeah. But you know, it's it's kind of an acquired taste. Yeah. I think.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I
2: think maybe that's why they weren't bigger. It wasn't that they didn't have the songs or anything else, but maybe just because you know his voice isn't for everybody.
0: Yeah. Yep. No, I agree with you. What about your seven, man?
2: My number seven. Okay, this kind of goes you know, a little bit into the you know, like I said, I, I need to punish Twisted Sisters come out and play because mm-hmm. of, you know, a couple of bad songs. <laughs> so I felt like they should be brought down a little bit. This this album kind of kind of has a little bit of that for me too. This my number seven is Down for the Count by Y&T.
0: Oh, okay. Cool.
2: And 19, November 1985 and and I, I guess, you know, the it wasn't a good single. It's I, I, Again, this, this is kind of like and Sister where this is where a lot of Y&T fans kind of jump shit.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, the, it's a much poppier album. It's got a lot more keyboards than they had had previous. And, but for me, you know, the, the rock stuff, you know, is really good. And even the keyboardy stuff, you know, you know, it's, it's poppy kind of, kind of more, a little bit more glammy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually like it. A lot of people don't. I like this album. There are a couple of songs that I really can't stand. Kind of like, kind of like, it's very similar to me that's come out and play. There are a couple of songs that I don't like. But thankfully, they you know one of them wasn't released as a single, at least. Um, and being as that 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 you're a Poison fan, I need, I need to ask you a question, Mike. Yeah. Um, okay, there's a, a cover on this album written by Kenny Loggins and Jim Messina, and I do, I, I just want to know if your mama don't dance, mm-hmm. why? Why do metal bands, you know, <laughs> need to like, cover the song?
0: <laughs> they, they think it's good, but I'm not sure how many agree.
2: Right? I don't know. <laughs> T covered this song for this album. And then it's like, and I thought I was rid of the tune, and then a few years later, I get poisoned on my screen, singing this same song that I can't stand. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking, why do bands keep covering this song? The original's not even good.
1: Uh, But I digress.
0: (laughs) With Y&T, I've been honest about this when people have asked me. I I never got into Y&T. The only Y&T album that I ever liked or had was Contagious because A, it was 1986. That's when I was really kind of getting into the metal and hard rock. And Y&T appeared to be a glam band like all the other ones that I liked at that point you know what mm-hmm. i mean so that's the only album i've ever really known of and and um, there's a lot of people like rich uh, on twitter who's huge into ynt and some he sent me some stuff he's like check this out check this out and you know what i just it just doesn't i don't know just i can't relate to it i don't know why
2: Um, Yeah, I'm guessing guessing Rich jumped off with this album (laughs) Probably,
0: yeah, he probably did But it's like, I just I don't know Uh, You know, it's like You you talk about those acquired tastes You don't know why you just can't get into something You you know, I know they're not bad They're good musicians, great songs and all that stuff But yeah, it just doesn't register with my ears for some reason I don't know why
2: Yeah, to me um, I mean, really, I mean Just like every other Y&T, Dave Manichetti carries this album Sure He's, I mean, for my money, he's the best double threat in the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Between between the lead vocals and the smoke and lead guitar, um, I mean, he's just incredible. I, I, even if you don't like his voice, his guitar playing is just incredible. And you know, this was their their album with, like I said, they brought in all the keyboards, and it's it's a much more glammy or poppy or album. And I think a lot of the old school Y&T fans didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, They they repackaged "Summertime Girls" and put it on this album. It had been a hit single, and they they dropped it on this album. It it really doesn't need to be on the album, but if you like "Summertime Girls," which I do, and a lot of people don't, but I like "Summertime Girls." There's a lot of this album that kind of you know has other stuff kind of in that vein, you know. Whereas maybe older Y&T stuff is a little raw or a little a little more straight-ahead rock, you know like I said, a lot of keyboards on this, um, stuff like, but stuff like In the Name of Rock is very heavy and just, just a good banger of a tune and just, but, you know, maybe, because I know you like, you like glammy stuff. Sure. You know, maybe check out, tune- if you're gonna check out anything off this album, check out Face Like an Angel, um, check out "Anytime at All. Those are really glammy and you, you you might, I, I might send you, send you one of those, uh, after we're done here. Yeah. but yeah send them over you know so and maybe you'll like it maybe you'll go eh. Yeah, I, I, I don't have anything against, like i
0: said if, if, as long as they're doing the kind of music that i like I te- I, you know like i said right. I, I do i love contagious you know what i mean so i, I might like it um
2: yeah if you like contagious contagious was kind of a you know what started you know maybe with this one maybe mm-hmm. the album before in rock we trust is a little more accessible um But this one they ramped up the keyboards more on this album here down for the count. Uh And like I said, a lot of people didn't like it. The album didn't do very well. And this was their last album on A and M, thank God. But Uh by the time they got to basically Y and T had a lot of missteps during their career. They were on the wrong label to start with. And then by the time they got to Geffen Records, it was kinda too late. You know, you had a bunch of younger bands that were already, you know, doing well and but Anyway, my number seven was down for the count, Y&T.
0: So my number seven, you want to talk about an acquired taste when it comes to vocals and (laughs) (laughs) loudness. Thunder in the East, um, I mean, I, I love loudness, and I feel like Akira brings in such amazing riffs. And solos and this whole band is stellar. I always look at them like the the Japanese Van Halen. You know, what I mean, just it's a stellar band. Um, but I do feel like the vocals are an acquired taste here. And but on the flip side, I also feel like there's a certain charm to them, and that's what makes them unique. So a lot of times, like when when, when you insert an American vocalist like Mike Vassera, who I'm a huge fan of, you know, that's maybe more accessible to to some people. But I also think you lose the charm of what loudness is all about. But, I mean, the, the songs and the riffs on this album, Crazy Night, No Way Out, Like How. Um, and even there's just some really weird time changes. And I don't know if this is kind of unique to, like, their culture or, or like, if they've integrated, like, you know what I mean? Like, American bands are going to have American influences, but but loudness may have American influences, plus also Japanese influences. And I was listening right. to the song Run For Your Life. And it's going, it goes along really in a normal pace, and then like after the chorus, it goes into this riff that's completely off time, and like has a really weird time change. And I was just thinking to myself, like you just wouldn't hear necessarily like American metal bands doing this at that time. So I just right. think there's a really loudness are definitely more than 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 they seem. You know what I mean? And I, and I think, like, when there are times when Loudness tries to be an American band. Like, when you listen to, like, a Lightning Strikes, the song Let It Go. Like, to me, that sounds like it could be any hair metal band. Um, but then when you even get into that album, there's some really oddball metal songs on there. They're, they're not straight-ahead you know, straight stuff. They're, they're pretty complicated, and they do some weird things with the melodies and the time changes. So I think Loudness is just an incredible, underrated band, an incredible band and uh yeah that's my seven
2: yeah i remember loudness i remember um i remember the video seeing the video for crazy Nights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh yeah it was different you know it was, you know not to get you know i, I mean just you know you're you're, you're watching metal videos you're, you're used to seeing you know all-american bands right, right? Yeah. so it was kind of like they were the although the japanese metal band you know so it's like that and that was all, all we knew you know mm-hmm. and i remember seeing the the rock and roll crazy nights and you know trying to you know it's it's a little you know, it takes a little you know because you're you're hearing it's a second language for these guys you know yeah exactly and so it's like you're you're hearing a, like a real heavy accent and it's yep. kind of like you're, you're trying to take it seriously but it's a little hard when you're when you're a teenager trying to get past that you know at the time
0: right and yep. uh yep
2: but I mean, but they were definitely, you know, it wasn't like it was, it was, I thought it was bad. You know, I never heard the full album, but I just remember the one video and I remember just listening to it, and, you know, it's not bad. You know, it's just, I guess it's maybe the vocals that are the hardest to kind of try and wrap your head around yep. when, when you're an American teenager in the eighties, you know, checking this stuff out for the first time.
1: Yeah, but, I agree.
0: And I think, but, you know, as you become an adult, you know, and you go back and revisit right. th- this stuff, your point of view changes. And, and, and what I would mm-hmm. say, you know, look no further than Klaus Mine. I mean, there's a lot of words oh, yeah. that he says that are <laughs> totally pronounced wrong. And but for some reason, you know, you gave him the pass, you know, back in the because his voice was so damn good. But um, you know, I feel yeah, like the loud loudness was so
2: good, and the songs were so good. Yeah, you know,
0: loudness didn't maybe get that same kind of courtesy. I think you know, I think people, like right. you said, you know, oh, this guy's got to have the accent. You know, if you go back and even listen to some of the stuff that's not in English. It's still wicked cool. Like, they've got great, you don't know what they're saying, but it's got cool melodies and cool riffs. Like, they're, they're a talented band. And, and I, what I'll do is, you said you want to send me some of the Y&T. I'm going to send you a couple of the tracks on here where I think if you go back now and listen to them today, you'll be like, wow, that's, like, really ahead of its time, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, definitely. So what do you got for six? For number six, I've got the 1985 offering from Dio, Sacred Heart. Sweet,
0: Dio, nice, nice.
2: Yeah, and, you know, this is another one, kind of that, kind of an album that uh, seemed to like, you know, kind of, you know, maybe some of Dio's momentum kind of stopped after this album, because this was the last album with Vivian Campbell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like the first first two Dio albums were, it seemed like they were huge. I mean, Dio, was, I mean, everyone, at least you know, where I lived, you know, it seemed like everyone loved Dio and everyone was cranking up Holy Diver and Last in Line and everyone really liked Vivian Campbell as a guitar player. And it seemed like, you know, after this album you know, and with Vivian quit, you know, I don't know if he quit or he's fired, whatever, I don't really remember, but during it was like the beginning of the tour and then by the time they got to America, they had Greg, Greg Goldie. Uh-huh. And, uh, but it seemed like that, that, for whatever reason, that seemed to kill some of Dio's momentum, and I don't know that he ever quite, you know, you know if if his popularity, you know, as far as with his solo band, ever quite got to where it was on the previous album.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And but you know, this album is really good. You know, I listen. This is another one I went back and listened to just in the last few days, and I was really surprised. I hadn't listened to it in forever. I, I listened to I listened to Holy Diver. I listened to Last in Line, and those albums are great and I was really surprised. I'm like, why haven't I been listening to this album? It's great. Um, it's a little more, uh, you know, same thing like we're talking about. Everyone's bringing in the keyboards. Yeah, it's lightened up um, they, Yeah. Yeah, yeah Dio had keyboards before with Claude Schnell, but it's like, it seemed like with, with this album, they were a little more prominent uh, on more of the songs. Um, but stuff like the King of Rock and Roll was just a great heavy tune. Uh, the title track, uh, Rock and Roll Children is really like a catchy kind of—I um I don't want to say commercial sounding, but definitely a little more melodic, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and that was a single, uh, but the rest of the album's got stuff that's a little more, a little heavier, you know. Hungry for Heaven was a great tune, Just Another Day, um, but th- this album, kind of, I think, kind of gets kind of gets forgotten, you know, when you're talking about the the Dio, like the. The prime Dio years, I think people kind of kind of cut off after Last in Line, mm-hmm. but I think this one's almost as good.
0: Yeah, I, I love Dio, uh, and I'm like one of those Dio weirdos because I feel like when I I really started getting into Dio around Dream Evil. And then I, I really like okay. everything that goes from there on. Um, I had this album when I was a kid, but I don't think I was even really mature enough to understand, you know, like, how good Dio really was, you know. But I I love the song right. Sacred Heart. I love the live performance where he slays the dragon uh, during that song. and So that's classic. But one point I want to make with, with Dio, and you said, you know, his popularity kind of went down after this. I, it, I don't know if it necessarily has as much to do with music as that it has to do with image. And I think what was happening by the time we got to 86 yeah. and 87, you know, Bret Michaels, Vince Neil, these are these are how you're supposed to look. And now you got this little guy right. who's older, who's starting to thin out. On t- you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, he just, he didn't, like, you could be, like, some metal reject, like, in the early 80s. Like, like you could be Udo, and it would work, right? Like, in the earlier 80s. Like, you don't try to, or Halford. Right. But once you got to the late 80s, you needed to be, like, pretty boy. Like, Sebastian Bach, Janie right. Lane. So, I feel like that was, I, I think it was image. That, that killed Dio for the most part I don't think he It's not talent and it's not songwriting Because he's loaded with that It's just the way he looked I think it, it unfortunately became really superficial When we got to the end of the 80s And I don't think he could f- compete with that. that that's just. And I just thought of that right now I've never thought about that before But when you were saying
2: no, that you're, you're right
0: I think that's A lot of he bands were having
2: that problem though A lot of bands from the, from the early 80s Were having that problem uh, or like the band I just talked about, Y and T. Y and T had an image problem. Yes. In the mid eighties. Yes. Yep.
1: Um
2: you know, Dave, they were kinda able to to kind of, you know, he was able to to pull it off okay. You know, you know, decent looking guy, you know, he has got you know, got the got the curly hair and everything and he, he could like, you know, they could put some leather on him and kind of make him look you know, kinda of pretty him up a little bit, yep. you know. Yep. But the rest of the band not so much. So and so what ended up happening is, you know, Replace the drummer, yeah, and replace the other, one of the guitar players to kind of make them look a little prettier, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's like when they brought in DeGrasso for for the contagious and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's different dudes. Yeah, no doubt. Right. Yep. No, it's it's sad that it has to come to that, but but it does. It, that's what happens. So.
2: Yeah, I mean, we look back at it now and see how ridiculous it was, you right. know. Right. But it it was definitely a thing back then.
0: Oh yeah. I always... I talked about this before on here. Like, I was so superficial. Once again, I was like 10, 11 years old. You know what I mean? And... I always remember, like, if a dude in the band had short hair, I would be like, what's wrong with this guy? He should have long hair like the rest of the guys. Where he come from? He's, he's a loser, you know? Uh, like, that was going on in, in your mind. And, and as an adult, you're like, this is mm-hmm. ridiculous. like you judge people by it's their ridiculous. talent and, and, like, their merit, not by, like, what their hair looks like. But unfortunately, like I said, that just was the mindset of everybody. People were wearing wigs so they fit in with what was going on. Right. Know? you know so it's crazy yeah, i mean it
2: was that way though it, it was the same way in my own band so mm-hmm. i mean when we would have an opening we'd be looking for a bass player and drummer i mean if they walked in the door and didn't look right it was just like okay let's just get this over with yeah isn't that crazy <laughs> it's so
0: terrible it's terrible
2: yeah and it's bad you know because it really has it doesn't have much to do with anything you know no. with, but you'd be naive to think that it, It wasn't important back then because it was, unfortunately. Yeah.
0: So number six, I've got Ingve man marching out, and uh, this is uh, I feel like this is Ingve kind of you know I feel like at this point Ingve's still trying to be commercial to an extent you know I mean he's playing some some fast metal on a lot of these songs. But I think he's still he hasn't gone overboard yet. You know what I mean? I feel like, you know, Jeff Scott Soto brings a lot of um you know relevance to these songs and he's got the the uh the Johansons on there playing with him. But uh you know, I'm a Viking is great, I'll see the light tonight. Caught in the Middle is such a cool song, and uh I just feel like, you know, Ingvei you know, aside from his name not being overly marketable, I, I, I guess, like I, I think I would have named myself, you know, so you know, like a Nicky Six. So,
2: you, you look at it, and you're trying to, you're trying to read it, you know, as an yeah. American, you're looking at what's it. Ying Wee, what yeah, is this? Right. You and know, it's I, like, we
0: don't know. <laughs> that's weird. I mean, he did become a guitar hero with a, a crazy name. It didn't really matter right. because he had the talent. But I think when mm-hmm. you talk about like radio and video, I right. always believe his band should have just been called Rising Force, and uh, that's the end of it. You know what I mean? No, Completely no, agree. No Ingve Malmsteen. Because it's... And once again, we're not trying to... I'm not trying to rip on somebody's culture or what you know any of that kind of stuff. No. But I just feel like... You, you are in America, and it is the '80s, and I think you've just got to be accessible. You know what I mean? If you want to be huge, if you don't want to be right. huge, then yes, mm-hmm. call it Yngwie Mom Scenes, Rising Force. But if you want to be big, right, you just need a straightforward name: Motley Crue, Poison, you know, Kiss. What? It just has to be simple. Right. So yeah, but uh, you know, I'm a huge ingvay fan. Once again, this like we we talked right when we started. This is not my favorite ingvay album. I, I actually liked it when he got even more commercial. Uh, but then again, that tends to be my my theme with all these. I, I like when they went real commercial and glammed out, you know. But uh, but I still right. I love this album. I think it's great. The, the, the playing, the songs, and I feel like I feel like that's the problem with Ingvae nowadays, you know, or maybe it, within the past ten fifteen years. It's all about noodling and all that kind of stuff and i feel like at the end and, of the, and he's i
2: don't he's not even working with a singer anymore no, right? he doesn't
0: he sings his own that's a whole other subject i'm just going to leave untouched but yeah. yeah but i feel like when he was more focused on on his songs the other it all came together but now when we're just focusing on soloing and stuff then there is no real song there so that, at least that's my take on it but i'm always going to love Ingve. always going to be one of my favorites
2: yeah, Yngwie was another one that was popular in my house. Um, <laughs> uh, one of my brothers was just, I mean, he just was so into Ingve and then got into all those, um, those shrapnel records, uh, virtuoso guitar players. Oh, he had all Vinnie Moore, Tony McAlpine. All, all. If they played fast, my brother went and got the album. Uh-huh. Um, but his, but his favorite was Ingve was and he saw him in concert several times. And uh, so, yeah, I, we had that one in our house, too. It was never my thing, but some of the songs were, I, I'm more of a song, you know, I'm more about the music, I'm more about songs, you know? Yeah, me too. And to me, his music was always, okay, let me write a song so I have a vehicle for my soloing. Yeah, <laughs> I know, yeah. Yeah, you know, whereas, you know, my my train of thought in the school I come from is the complete opposite.
1: Yep.
2: You know, I played, you know, when I played myself, it was always, okay, I, I'm going to do a solo to... To work with the song, you know, how can I make something add something to this song, not yeah. overpower it, or you know, you know, put my stamp all over it, kind of thing. But uh, you know, there are plenty of guitar players that that you know, to where it's about it's about them and it's about their lead guitar playing. And I guess you know, with a lot of people when they were going to seeing, they they wanted to they wanted to hear him solo. That, so, that's but you were only you were only going to get so big. Right. doing that you were going to have your your niche and that and that was about it you were never going to really break through the closest he got to breaking through was with joe and turner mm-hmm. um and i i think i don't know what the sales were for those albums but it seemed like the, the, that that album was you know did better than than some of the other ones but you know i definitely appreciate ingway's talent though yeah
0: well, we're getting down hey, that to
2: that was different. one of my that that was yeah, that was one my mentions, so I mention, so I don't have to worry about mentioning that one. <laughs>
0: well, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty, man. We're getting to our final five. What's your five?
2: All right. I'm I'm going to number 5. You know, I I normally would stray away from say greatest Hits albums or light or live albums yeah. really, but you know, I love every song on this album, so I had to put it on here making the second appearance on my list it's y and t with open fire
0: oh okay interesting cool
2: yeah yeah this is a live album mostly live um there's one studio song and i think one live song that may have been recorded in the studio um but it's a you know i love everything on this album uh from it starts off with the killer open fire and it's just and the, the versions of the songs on this are better than the studio versions from the previous album. And this actually was the album that Summertime Girls Made Its First Appearance. <laughs>
1: oh, because intense. it was the we studio put song
2: that made, that made Yeah, I've got two albums on here and the the the, the big single that, the only song that anyone remembers from these two albums is the same song. <laughs> And again, A&M Records had no idea what they were doing. It's like, okay, this song's hit. Let's put it on. Okay, we'll put it on the live album. And then the, the next studio album that we're rushing to put out, ah, let's put Summertime Girls on that one too. You know, <laughs> <laughs> my guess is the band was not, I'm guessing that it was not their idea. But but anyway, you've got Open Fire, 25 Hours a Day, Rescue Me, uh, Forever is it's a great, great classic Y&T track and this live version of it just it's my favorite version of the song and from there's only eight tunes on it but and it's about oh 48 minutes or so but it's i, I love it from start to finish so i had to put it on, on my list just because i love the album that much there's nothing i don't like on this on this album
0: hey, anything goes yep. on these man there's there's no rules <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. The only thing that I don't that the only Chris and I would make of this album is that, that it wasn't longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing, just from a from a marketing standpoint, okay, Y&T does it give you a, a little thing? Uh, Y&T is coming off their biggest album to date in in Rock We Trust. That's the album that had Don't Stop Running and Lipstick and Leather. And from a sales standpoint, that was their, their high water mark. So they put out a live album the next year that completely ignores. The album that had just been a hit. Yeah. There's no songs from hit Rock We Trust on this live album and there's no Mean Streak on it either.
1: Hmm.
2: And those were the, those were the, that was the stuff that was the most popular of, of this band. And I guess they wanted to push their back catalog. I don't know, hmm. but I mean, it's all great stuff, but you could have done a double live album and put some of the, some of the newer hits on there as well. And it would have made it that much better, but that's just my own little criticism for what it is. I love the album. That's my number five. Sweet. Um, My number five... is command! Striper, Soldiers Under Command.
0: And I I just, I I love this album. I think it's either this or To Hell With The Devil is my favorite. They're they're almost tied for for number one. But, you know, I I just, I love the title track. (laughs) And I feel like there's just... For a band that's, you know, this was their second album, really young guys. I feel like they've really got some well written songs on this <laughs> one, um, especially the song First Love." It's it's like a ballad, and it it's just sound. It's a really well written song, very mature song. And uh, "Together Forever" is fun. Waiting for a love that's real. Uh, I, I just, I'm just I'm a big Striper guy, man. I, I love. I love their message. Right. I love their their musicianship, the vocals, the their harmonies they do. Uh, you just, I, I I don't know. I feel especially those first, uh, you know, four or five albums that they did. I just I love it. You know, Stripe, Striper's good fun, and uh, that's my five.
2: Yeah, I remember. I remember when Striper first came out too, and that was another band that we had a flyer for when they were playing the Country Club in Russia, in Southern California, and they. I'm guessing. First, uh, their first EP I think was out around that time. It was around '84. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, and so they were playing the Country Club, and my my sister had seen them, and she was like, "Yeah, this band. They were throwing out little Bibles at their show. <laughs> that was different. <laughs> these little, yeah, these little paperback little Bibles. And then I remember when the the video for for um, Soldiers Under Command came out, and sure enough, they showed them in. It might even be the Country Club, but the club throwing out they showed them throwing out to the to the audience is like, wow, that's different. You know, I'm listening to stuff that's the complete opposite, <laughs> the subject,
0: you know, there, yeah. from that
2: <laughs> yep. antithesis, antithesis of that. You music. to but um, you know, I just, you know, I just got done listening to the the single of Lost Animal, you know, and
1: <laughs>
2: you know, I wasn't going to be popping on Striper after that, but you know, no, but Striper was never really like, you know, one of my bands, but. You know, it's kind of another thing. No band will come on and be like, "Okay, yeah, that, that's cool." You know, it just wasn't my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but def- definitely, definitely, uh, there were some bands that I would see and I would be like, "Okay, this band is just not good. They they don't have any talent." You know, that wasn't the case with Striper. It's like mm-hmm. I saw them. It definitely, these are talented musicians. It's just not my thing. Yeah, totally understand.
0: What do you got for four? Now this is this is really getting down to the nitty gritty. What what's four?
2: All right, four, and I know you don't have this on your list. <laughs> <laughs> Mine are so, no, my, no predict- one has-
0: my final four is so predictable, it's
2: not even funny. Yeah, my, my top three are very predictable to, to anyone that knows me at all. But um, number four is, I, okay, nobody has their, this on their list outside of Detroit, okay? But my number four is the self-titled debut by Seduce.
0: Oh, I remember you saying something about Seduce. I thought, I thought maybe. uh, Seems like I've seen that on your page or something. So yeah, I've heard of them, but I'm not familiar with their music.
2: Yeah, they ended up on the the decline of Western Civilization, II, the metal years. um, A few years later, Um, they put out two albums. They had one major label release on IRS, and my guess is it didn't do that well. But um, this is a few years before they were on, you know, in the movie and everything. And this was their this was their debut. It's only eight songs, and it's only about about thirty minutes long, but i mean from from one to eight, I mean it's just it's just a bang you know hardcore album. Um, this band you know, just never hit it big for whatever reason but and they like I said, the biggest they got was being in that movie, and then they put out the one major label release. but this was put out independently in nineteen eighty five and the you know. I love this album. <laughs> I didn't get it until years later, but you know, we, you know, me and the the guy that was in the band with that time, we put it on and we're just like, Man, how did this not how was this not huge? How did somebody else not not pick up on this? I mean they, they looked really glammy, they had hair up to the moon, but they're playing really heavy stuff at this point. You know, they had songs called like Viper's Bite, Love to Hate, uh, there's another great song called Face to Face. Uh my favorite song is called Chopping Block. And it's just really heavy stuff. Uh, the singer, Mark Andrews, he's got a really unique voice. So it, it might not be, you know, everyone's cup of tea, but, it, you know, I love I love it. I, th- I think he sounds great. And the guitar player, David Black, might be like the one, one of the better guitar players from that era that nobody's heard of, you know, because they didn't hit it big. But that's my number, what am I at, four. My uh, number four is this to do self-titled um, album, you know, it's. i think i think it's on streaming services now so you know oh. for anyone who wants to check it out go check it out i'm going to have
0: to i'm going to have to check it out too because i'm not fam- familiar with it but i I've, I've heard of them so i'm going to have to i'm going to have to get schooled on some seduce
2: <laughs> yeah go check it out. it might not be your thing you know but yeah. you know it's, it might be a little, a little it's a little heavier than some of the glamier stuff we're yeah. talking about but yeah.
0: Alright, so this was one you figured would be on my list, my number four, and it is, and it's Docking Under Lock and Key, and uh, I I love it. I love it, and I think this and Back for the Attack, they're my faves. Once again, you know, uh, as much as I appreciate the first couple Docking albums, I feel like this is where it really starts for me, and then the. you know, back to the attack. I love those two. I think Unchained the Night. That was one you didn't mention. I, I think that's like their I think that's their best song. I, for me, it's like probably one of my favorite Dawkins okay. songs. I love the 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 clear guitar in the beginning, and then it you know it gets heavy, and uh, it's so good. Lightning Strikes too. Uh, one of one of Dawkins best. I love that song. In My Dreams and Hunter. I agree with you on the Hunter. Very cool. It's not love, but you know, it, I feel like to the average person. This pr- album probably feels the same exact way that "Invasion of Your Privacy" feels to me. Like, th- like it kind of s- gets sluggish at the end, but I like all those songs. Right. I, don't, I must be just some kind of weirdo, <laughs> but I like "Jaded Heart" and "Will the Sun Rise." I just think they're cool songs. So for me, I pr- I pretty much until the living end is the last track. I love this whole album. You know, I get it that it's probably it's at its strongest at the beginning, but I still think it got some pretty cool deep tracks and uh, I love Don's voice and obviously George's playing but kind of to your point I'm the same exact way I don't go crazy about guitar solos so you know I know that there's something there that sounds good but I I don't sit there just like study George Lynch's solos or Warren Martini's solos I know these are guys that people go crazy over but I'm more of a song guy too I like you know I want a good song and I feel that everything he does fits but i I don't sit there and analyze it if you know what I mean
1: right
2: yeah i'm you know i I'm both kind of uh-huh. <laughs> because I love great guitar souls they don't have to necessarily be like really overly fast, sure, but I, I love great guitar souls, but I like it in context of a good of a good song
0: right you know exactly
2: it, it it's more of a spice than than the main ingredient, you know what I mean,
0: yeah. I agree with you 100. percent What do you got for three? I'm dying to hear what, what your final three are.
2: Oh, well, number three, I. Boy, this just we, we've got some a nice flow going here because at number three, I've got rat invasion of your private. Oh, there
0: we go. Rat finally <laughs> popped up on yours. All right,
2: let, let's let's hear what your thoughts are on it. My thoughts are, are you know, when again, it's, man, it seemed like it, 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 there's a similar story with a lot of these groups that were putting out their second albums, like we talked about. And I loved Out of the Cellar, love, love, loved it. To me, it's a ten out of ten album.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: I and it almost and I absolutely love the EP too. Yep. The first EP I think is so cool. It's really raw and it's a, it's a little heavier. And so I was waiting for for Invasion of Your Privacy to come out. Went and bought it right when it came out. First thing you look at the album cover and that's that doesn't suck. Um,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but. And I put it on, and, you know, I'm kind of listening to it, and, okay, You're in Love was a great tune. Yeah. And then Lay It Down was great, and I'd already heard that. And then the rest of the songs were just kind of there, you know?
1: Yeah.
2: And then, and really, you know, I I went back to it a few times and kept trying to get into it, and I I really just didn't for, for a long time. And it's really only been in, you know, as I've gotten older, that... I went back and listened to this album and I'm going, you know, this is pretty good.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and it really, it took years, but it, it's really kind of grown on me. And now I probably think that it's, you know, it's not quite as good as Out of the Cellar, but, you know, it's as, it's as good. Because originally, I actually liked the follow-up dancing on the cover better mm, mm. Than, than this album. Mm. And now, you know, now listening to it, I probably like this album a little better.
0: Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah.
2: And, yeah, like I said, you're in love's great. Um, Lay it down is a great tune. Um, Between the eyes, I always love that one. Um, and the rest of the stuff, it's just consistently good. Uh-huh. You know, if I, in my eyes, from start to finish, it's not. It's not. A, I wouldn't put everything as being a plus, like like I do with a the Cellar. But I think you know you've got a few A's and a lot of B's on this material, and, and I mean B as in like on a grading scale where A, B, C, you know, mm-hmm. so B's still pretty good yeah. in my eyes. But, and the guitar work, you know, D- Mar- I think this was D. Martini's album, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I think he kind of like stepped to the forefront a little bit and kind of, you know, pushed Robin Crosby off to the side a little bit, you know, for better or worse, you know, which is kind of, you know, kind of sad for him, but, you know, I mean, you can't argue with the results on this because the guitar playing is so good on this album. Yeah, but that's my number three. Rat invasion of your privacy.
0: Well, I know that my number three is definitely in your number two. I'm assuming, (laughs) (laughs) from what I know about you. But and and I just want to say that this was the hardest part of it. I think everything else fit into place. But once I got to like one, two, three, it was like, it was, it was a fair game for anybody.
1: I'm blind in Texas.
2: But ultimately, yeah, Wasp, I had trouble with one and two. Yeah.
0: Well, unfortunately <laughs> for better or for worse, Wasp ends up at three, the last command. And uh, I got to say though, this probably is my favorite Wasp album. I know so many people love the debut and I, and I do too. Uh, I mean, I love a lot of their albums a lot, especially Headless Children as well. But I feel like this one is just fun, well-written, catchy stuff, Mm -hmm. jack action, ball crusher, cries in the night, fistful of diamonds. You know, and I just think it's great. I mean, Wild Child is a good song, and it's a great song, but I feel like it's just, I'm so burnt out with that song. But the other songs, I'm not burnt out with. I feel like they don't ever get enough attention. You know, that whole first side Mm -hmm. is full of, Great tunes that don't get a lot of attention. And even the second side is no slouch. You know, Running Wild in the Streets and The Last Command and A Sex Drive, all that. I mean, it's just all around. Oh, I can't forget Blind in Texas. But once again, those are the ones that you've kind of heard a lot, you know, between the Wasp Live stuff and everything uh, and on their greatest hits. But yeah everybody swears by the debut and i'm not saying they're wrong but i think this is a little bit more my speed it's more catchier it's a little bit more produced and it's right up my alley and i you know i know you're a big blackie fan i'm a big blackie fan and i love i love chris holmes and randy piper's guitar work together steve riley is a kick-ass drummer this this could potentially be their best lineup uh on this album so yeah last command man I, i got nothing more to say about it. it's awesome
2: <laughs> you know, you, you. Know, I always thought you were cool, Mike. But you know, you, you kind of, you know, up the, you know, you up that a little bit on my, on my cool meter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've been, you know me. I've been flying the wasp flag for, mm-hmm. for so many years, and usually I get met with, you know, kind of, eh, you know. <laughs> yeah. They're idiots. They're oh, people, they don't
1: know
0: what they're talking about.
2: You know, no, I mean, normally it's like, yeah, Wasp, you know, whatever. You know, Blackie Lawless. And I'm using... Man, you, you don't understand. You get, you need to listen to them more. Yeah,
1: for sure. For you sure. just you just
2: haven't listened to enough Wasp. That's your problem.
0: Yep. There's something about, like I said, right. there, for me, I'm going to be completely honest, there's a major drop-off for me after the uh, Headless Children. Like, I I start to feel like he made the same album like over and over again. And, and and maybe that's just an opinion that I'm alone on, but I feel like there's a real evolution when you go from the debut to the Headless Children, you know, it, they're, they're all different. You know, it, when you look at the electric circus, that one's a little bit more glammy, uh, the look and the sound. And then we got really deep and heavy and serious with the Headless Children. I just love all the different places they went. And I love, the, the how you know the partnership of like Holmes, and even with Johnny Rod, I just feel like all those guys brought some cool elements. And then I feel like once it really wasn't a band band anymore, then I, I feel like something mm-hmm. was lost. Blackie's solid. He writes great songs and he's a great singer. But I, I really think he needs those other guys from that the original uh, lineups in those first few albums to really make the Wasps the, the wasp sound that I like. So that's just my take on it.
2: Well, a lot of the Wasps lost sound that you know from the original band you know and particularly on the first couple albums yeah it's a lot of chris holmes you know to be quite honest yeah and and it's not that not so much from a writing standpoint he did write he did co-write some stuff but um it's something about the sound of his guitar i mean he's not and he's not the best guitar player in the world but there's something about the tone of his guitar that kind of completes that wasp sound yeah you know and with once he left, it's like, I, and I like I like a lot of the, a lot of the later Wasp albums also, but sound sonically, it's not the same. No, you know, I like a lot of the songs, but just sonically, it's just not the same sound, and it's it's definitely missing Chris Holmes in the in the mix.
1: Yep.
2: But you know, you know how it is. It's like it's, it's the same same thing with people that they want Ace back and Kiss. It's like exactly. Yeah, I understand. It's like his guitar kind of gives that signature Kiss sound, but yes. it's like, you know, I don't have to live with these guys twenty four seven. That's
0: that's the piece we don't understand.
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I've been in bands with with people I couldn't stand and I had to deal with them all the time. It's just mm-hmm. like, oh man. And then when they were out of the band, someone would come up to you, and like, man, what happened to so and so? It's like, well, you know, things didn't work. Out. Oh man, why'd you do that? Like he, that guy was the best drummer. and it's, it's, you don't got to deal with them every day. You know, but... And so I understand that part of it, too. But, anyway, I, I may or may not have some more to say about
1: that. Uh, I'm sure.
0: So, minutes, so what do you got for number two?
2: For number two. <laughs> oh, I go. Man, I, I really had trouble with these last two. I knew what the top two were going to be. And... I, I had the hardest time making up my mind which one to put in one number two. One of them's from my favorite band, mm. and the other one I just think is a slightly better album. So, number two. In your case, I get the feeling you're genuinely happy with the new Asylum album, which is just out in the states now. Uh,
1: well, I think we're real excited because
2: what you're what you're always trying to do is, is make your latest record your best record in the same way that. You know, an athlete's always trying to outdo himself, but, you know, let's say somebody jumps 15 feet, it doesn't necessarily mean that the next time they're going to jump 15.5 or whatever, so... But in this case, I really think this is this is probably our best album. I've got Kiss Asylum. Yeah. And... Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's surprising that it seems like lately there seems to be like a... This album's kind of gotten a... You know, there's been like a resurgence of, like of, you know, love for this album yes. in recent years among al- the KISS community. Um, which is surprising, because it seemed like, you know, everyone kept telling me that all all the 80s KISS stuff was crap for years, and now I think, oh, but Asylum's good. I think, well, where were you in 85 when people were making fun of me in my Asylum shirt? <laughs> but um I think it's a great album. You know, I think it's... Paul does his normal... Paul's stuff in the 80s where it's like his stuff's great. It's top-notch. And I think Gene's stuff is better on this album than Animal Life. I, I don't feel like he totally just crapped out some songs. He at least put, I think, a little effort into it, maybe. Or at least more than he did on Animal Life. I agree. Um, you've got A King of the Mountain, which is great, with the late, great air car on drums. Um, Who Wants to Be Lonely is still one of my favorite Kiss tunes. Ever, I mean, I, I think it's great. Absolutely love the chorus. Um, I'm alive. Tears are falling. Uh, you know, I'm I'm one of those weirdos that likes uh, all night. You know, me too. Yeah. I, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yes, I know it's stupid. <laughs> it's like yes, I know to write a song and write down uh-oh all night is com- is is completely juvenile and it and is not to be taken seriously. But You know, if you haven't been in a bar or at a party when and people are having a good time and this comes over the loudspeakers, if you haven't been there and experienced that, it's awesome. Everyone gets into that and starts singing along with it. But and that's what it's supposed to be. It's a party song. It's not meant to be taken seriously. It's a party tune. But and I think some of Gene's stuff is good too, like Trial by Fire.
1: Yeah.
2: I always liked um, Secretly Cruel is good. But and you know, on a you know, on a side note with this album, um, around the time when this album came out, um, just just to tell you a little story, <laughs> um, I was having some, like a lot of young people. You know, I was having some difficulties in school around this time, and just just with life in general, I was having some problems. And a friend of a friend of the family worked at a clothing store in Beverly Hills, and this had to have been around either late 85 or late 86 and he's working at this store and it's kind of an upscale clothing place and who walks in but all four members of kiss oh wow yeah paul gene bruce eric and you know he obviously went and helped them and they bought a bunch of clothes and whatever and you know kind of you know as they were you know getting ready to leave you know this guy i won't say his name but um, I don't remember which one of them that he talked to, but he's like, you know, I got a, I know a kid who's kind of, you know, he's, he's one of your biggest fans and he, he's kind of having, you know, he kind of having some problems, you know, it's like, you know, and and they're like, okay, well, we're, you know, we're getting ready to to hop on a plane in the next few days, but he's like, you know, give, give me your, you know, give me your address and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see what we can do. And then sure enough, you know, you know, he comes to the house, uh, this, this friend of ours comes to the house, uh, in around, I want to say March and hands me this package and it's from the Kiss Company. Wow. And it's a, it's a, you know, it's a big envelope and it's got, you know, got, got the Kiss logo on it and it's got the, got the address of the office. And inside it was a, was a tour book from a big, a big asylum tour book, uh, an autographed picture of the band. And a handwritten letter from Eric Car. Wow. If you can believe that.
0: That's sweet, man.
2: And, yeah, I mean, and, and I I don't think I've ever, I, I don't tell too many people the story because it's that personal to me. And, the, the, the you know, to, to make it short, basically what he wrote on it was that, you know, hey, Tony, you know, you know, um, you know how's it going? You know, hey, man, you know, you got to keep your head up and that kind of thing. He's mm-hmm. like, you know, I played in bar bands for, you know, however many years, he's like you know, hoping to get a break. He's like, and I got my break with Kiss. He's like, he's all stick. You know, giving up and not caring is not going to help. And just you know, whatever you do, stick to it and you know, make your dreams happen, kind of thing. And signed by Eric Carr. Wow. And it's still. I mean, it's on Kiss stationery. You know, <laughs> it's got the logo up on the top. And uh, I kept it in a frame for years, and then finally, I had, I had to to kind of put you know, put it away because it was fading, but. Yeah, so th- so I kind of have a, a bit of a soft spot for this album for that mm. reason, and because I, I have the tour book, I have the the autograph picture from the, from the press kit from this tour, and the and the letter from, from Eric Carstel. I mean, obviously I was devastated when he passed, mm, but yeah. not to bring down the room here, but it's actually <laughs> this is actually a, a a happy story because it actually helped really helped me through a, through a kind of a dark time in my life when I was a kid. That's an amazing story. Yep, I, went, I went back to school, I turned around, I graduated, and and the rest is history. <laughs>
0: Sweet, man. That is super, super cool. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to wait to talk about this album, because I'm going to talk about it any, anyway, so we might as well just get it out of the way, but this was the first KISS album I ever bought, and so that's why it's always going to wow. be special to me and this is, you know, right, right when I was getting into hard rock and heavy metal, and it, you know, I got it in 86, but uh, you know, today it's still an enjoyable listen, and you're right, people today are realizing that this album is, is pretty good, and I think what's cool about it is it has a little bit more of the classic Kiss vibe, a little bit more than any of the other albums before it, um, and I feel like All, All Night is a prime example of that, so when you listen to All Night, go listen to Tomorrow and Tonight, and, and you know what I mean, you're gonna hear some yeah. similarities there, <laughs> because... There's that old kiss fun vibe, is there? And, and you hear it in other spots of the album, too. Don't get me wrong, they're playing the 80s game, you know, with Tears Are Falling and, and Who Wants to Be Lonely. But right. uh, they're really good songs. And I think adding Kulik was really a great move because, you know, we talk about how Ace. Um, made Kiss a signature sound, you know, gave him that sound in the seventies. Mm. I think Kulik did that for the eighties. So I feel like when you you're starting to get a vibe of something that's unique. When you go back and you listen to especially Mark St. John, his prime example, there's nothing unique there. There's nothing that really stands out. It's not it doesn't really fit. But when Coolidge comes in, he's got a lot of that speed, but he's tasteful. And, you know, when you think of the solo for Tears Are Falling, you can remember that. You could you hum that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The Mark St. John stuff, that, yeah. all you can do is, you know, it's like a, a babbling yeah. turkey or something. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. And,
2: and, yeah, like Gene, Gene said, he sound like an angry bee. Angry bee. It's in the extreme
0: close <laughs> up, yeah. And um, uh, Simmons, you, you're right. He's more focused here. His songs are better. Try by Fire is one of my favorite 80s Gene songs. And uh yeah, King of the Mountain is great, obviously Eric Carr going crazy in the intro there and uh I love this album you know I said it was my first kiss album and you can still go back to it and listen to it today and uh yeah'll I'll, I'll I guess I'll reveal after where I where I ended up putting it because it's this it could only be one or two <laughs> so That's right. so so I guess I might as <laughs> well just say what my two is and it's not Kiss Asylum so that just reveals that it's my number one, but my number
1: right. two but my heart should go. I have the
0: was you know same deal? Motley Crue, Theater of Pain. That was, was my first crew album. <laughs> I understand why people don't like Theater of Pain. I, I get it. it. You know, I, I can understand why people think it's not the greatest crew album. But I think for me, it's the nostalgia. The memories, uh, I think the, we've already talked about it, you know, and I've said this before on other things, is that, you know, the sound and the look were kind of the blueprint for the rest of the 80s and the rest of the bands, and um, I think Home Sweet Home is a cool ballad, and it, it, it's just one of those ones where I think anytime I hear it, uh, I don't get sick of it, and, and I feel like a lot of their songs are like that, but it looks to kill. Uh, is like that for me. I, I look,s that kill can come on. Yeah. And I, I don't ever get sick of it, and I don't ever get sick of home sweet home. And there's a couple I, I do like louder than hell, but there's this little pocket toward the end of the album that really stands out to me. And it's use it or lose it, save our souls, and uh, fight for your rights. I think those songs are so cool. They're totally underappreciated, and uh, but I think those are more a little bit heavier, heavier, uh, and darker. You know, "Save Our Souls" is kind of a dark song. It's like a slow, heavy, and it has some kind of dark lyrics. And uh, and I think socially conscious is uh, is fight for your rights. You know, they're talking about a lot of um, you know deeper stuff than the usual affair of you know sleeping with girls and all that stuff. So so uh, I I love like I said, it's mostly because of when I got it. You know, the effect it had on me when I bought it, and uh, that's probably why I like it so much. But I'll always be a fan, man. I'll probably always put that as probably my third favorite crew album. You know what I mean? Just because, you know, I always will say the first two are the best. I agree with you 100%. But I think for nostalgic reasons, this one, you know, rates always will rate high with me.
2: Yeah, a lot of people like this album. It's kind of, it's it seems to be polarizing. You know, it's like people either really love that album or you know, kind of look at it like I do. It was kind of the beginning of the end kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And, you know, know, I've seen, you know, Nicky Six gives interviews and he'll say one thing in one interview and then say something completely different in the next one. Um, One interview I saw to where he 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 must have just been in a mood that day or something, but he's like, like, yeah, I hate that album. Yeah. (laughs) He's <laughs> like yeah. it's a piece of crap you know he's <laughs> like it it sounds like a tired band and he's like i didn't have any good song to it and then i saw another interview with him a couple of years later and he, he was just and he was a little more complimentary of it uh-huh. so um i don't think it's a piece of crap i just don't think it's it was just such a comedown for me from the first two albums
1: right
2: like i said it's not it's not bad. You know, I don't hate the album, but man, did I, I tried so so many times to get into that album. I kept going back to it and kept going back to it. Like when I, I talked about Invasion of Your Privacy, I went, kept going back to it, and eventually it kind of clicked. And so I kept waiting for the figure of pain to click, and it just never did for me.
0: That's the way it goes, man. Right. So, uh, So I, I've already spoiled my number one. I- I figured the time was right. My number one was Kiss Asylum. So I think I know what your number one is, but tell everybody what it is.
2: <laughs> well, you, you knew I wasn't going to leave this off my list, right? Oh, I knew this
0: was going to be high for you. I knew it.
2: Yes. Well, like I said, it was very close.
0: This new album, which I love, The Last Command, is a little different from the first. And in fact, for what would
1: be called a heavy band, is quite different. There's a whole stack of different instruments in there. You, in fact, play how many? 12 of them. I the played 14 different Fourteen, albums, yeah. And one of those is a sitar.
2: Sitar. Yeah. Who taught you that? Myself. Yeah. It's called Necessity. Right. <laughs> you know, what we wanted to do was, was create a record that had never been right. done in heavy right. rock. Before. My number one, of course, is The Last Command. I was. I love the album. I think it's a great, great, especially for a second album. I yeah. think it's just a great follow-up to the first album, which I think is their best album. Uh-huh. I still think that the first album is their best album, and the last command is a, a very worthy follow-up yep. to that album. I think it's it's going. how I say it, it's not. I mean, listening to it, it's not overly commercial sounding. And the way we think of it as being '80s commercial sounding, uh-huh. but it's definitely a little more accessible, I think. Yeah, it is. even with songs like Ball Crusher.
0: Right, <laughs> <laughs> it's a head scratcher, but yeah, you're right.
2: Uh, and you know, and you gotta look at put it in the context of okay, I was I was 12 years old when I got this album. You know, um, I, no, actually, let me correct that. I just turned 13 when this album came out, so. I'm 13 years old, and any 13-year-old young male is going to love a song like Ball Crusher. Yep. Okay? Yep. At, the, at least in the 80s. You're, you're listening to this going, man, this is the coolest stuff ever. Uh-huh. <laughs> I agree. But anyway, uh, Wild Child is awesome. Ball, I like Ball Crusher, Fistful of Diamonds, Jack Action, Widowmaker. Blind in Texas is not my favorite song in the album, but it's cool. It's
0: fun, yeah. He
2: cries in the Night. You know, I you know I know you like the song. A lot of people that. don't like that song I for some reason. Um, but I, re- I always liked it. I always thought it was cool. I like it's a rehash of a of yes. an older song that that Blackie had called "Mr. Cool." Mr. Cool, yep. And that actually goes back all the way back to when he was you know back to the Killer Kane days with Arthur Kane. Um, and there's a, if you, I think you can probably find it on YouTube, the, the original. Killer Kane version of Mr. Cool mm-hmm. and the verses are exactly the same as, as this song but the, the chorus on Criars of the Night I think is much better I think yeah. the, the rewrite is better um, Blackie himself prefers Mr. Cool but I like Klyzer of the Night better Last Command the the title track that's always been one of my favorite tunes on this album
1: mm-hmm.
2: Running Wild in the Streets Sex Drive is just a fun you know dirty song
1: nope. <laughs> yep
2: yep <laughs> And that's another one that goes back back to, you know, his older bands. But I think the album's great. But one of the songs that didn't make the album, then, that ended up as a B-side called Savage, is also a great tune. Um, if you haven't heard that one, I'm sure you can find it. Um, it didn't make this album. It had, if it had been on the next album, it might have been the best song on the next album because, you know, like we've talked about, there's a big step down on the next album, I think.
0: Oh yes. Um,
2: yeah, I and mean, it's it just it just doesn't have the songs. They sound tired. You know, Blackie sounds to me. Blackie sounds tired on Electric Circus, but yeah. and he said the same things, so, you know. So I I felt vindicated when Blackie himself said, "Yeah, sounds like a tired band." Mm-hmm. But you know, I you've got the first two Wasp albums. They kind of went down a little bit for in my eyes with Electric Circus, but went way back up with. The Headless Children. I think it's just a phenomenal album.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: But, but, I still love this album. It ha, it's aged well for me. You know, some albums you like when they first come out, and you go back and listen to them years later, and go, oh, maybe it's not that great." To me, I listen to this album and go, "Man, this this album still does it for me." <laughs> it
0: does. It does aged very well. I agree, hundred percent.
2: Yeah, the production's good. Spencer Proffer produced this one. That was. It's such a proper produced uh Metal Health for Quiet Riot. And you know, I think he did a good job on this album too. But anyway, that's my number one loss, last command. And we can now talk about what was my number two. Take it away.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I I'm good. I, I said everything I had to say. Uh, about Kiss Asylum, so I th- I think everything's been said. It was my first one, and uh, I'm always gonna love it. And and like I said, a lot of these that we talked about tonight were some of the first albums that I bought by some of my favorite bands so they're always gonna be high on my list no matter what that's all i got man this this was fun we had a lot i think this has probably been one of the closest lists that i've had with anybody because a lot of them so i've had some people on that really thrown some weird curveballs out there and uh (laughs) aside from seduce i think yours were all pretty straightforward and and we we definitely lined up quite a bit probably more than anybody they've ever had on so so hats off to you tony you got good taste man
2: Well, this was fun, man. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot, man.
0: Hello Tony. Thank you, sir. Have a good night. Well, that was great talking some 1985 model with Tony. Make sure you subscribe to the channel and go back and look at the past episodes. Tons of killer stuff for you to
1: enjoy. Rock on!